0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 51st episode of Panel Riot. It is good to be back behind the microphone, a brand new microphone for a brand new year. This episode is about Comics Bento. What's Comics Bento? Well, you're going to have to stick around and find out. But before we do that, Intern Stan theme song, please. Good stuff. Good stuff, Stan. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to see you made it back from your New Year's. Uh, I, I know you like to go hard, um, so I was worried that um, you weren't going to... Is that not something kids say? Go. I'm sorry. Um, how, how was your New Year's? Was it good? Yes? No? God, it's so creepy when he just stares at me like that. Go. That's fine. No, go lay down. You know what I mean. Go do your thing. It, it's not... Yes, they decriminal- Yes, they decriminalized it, but it's not legal yet. No, you can't just. You're. It's. It's a fine. You won't go to gi- No. No, it's not fine. I mean, yes, it's fine, but just don't. Don't worry about it. Stan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Stan. Stan's gonna go do- Stan's gonna go do his business. Yeah. This week on the show we are talking about Comics Bento. This entire episode is brought to you by the good folks over at Comics Bento. Now, what is Comics Bento? Well, it's a monthly subscription service, like a box service. You're familiar with things like this. Um and uh, what they do is they send you a box full Of comics, completely appropriate for a comics themed podcast. Now, I got to tell you, usually when I have to stop in the middle of a sentence like that, the transitions are more smooth. They're more not noticeable. They're more uh, 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 stable. You know what I mean? Usually, you guys don't know that they exist at all. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Unless you do your own podcast or edit your own audio or whatever. Well, I know that one was a little jarring. That one was a little uh, (laughs) a little obvious. So the reason for that is I got a new microphone, as I said. And it's not working so great. So we're going to work out some kinks with that down the line when I have the time. But right now, I'm recording a podcast. And nothing will stand in the way of that. Um, So, back to the old microphone. Back to the old sound. Maybe you like it better. Maybe you don't. Uh, what, What is important is that we're talking about Comics Bento. Comics Bento, as I said, are a monthly subscription service. They sell you, sell you, send you. Technically, they're selling. Money is involved. For graphic novels. Now, not just issues, not random comics issues, not one-offs. These are legitimate, genuine graphic novels, uh, thick, collected stories, and you will get four of them every month. Uh, There are varying frequencies and everything like that, but uh, they, uh, they are available for purchase and for subscription just like uh any number of generic subscription box that i'm not going to mention on this podcast because frankly they're not advertising in comics bento is now the way it works is this you sign up for a low fee uh the fees incidentally they start at 17 dollars 50 per month, and they will send you a collection of graphic novels. Now, the what I got, in the interest of full disclosure, was a sample box. I got a review box. But what that means is they took a look at the podcast, they took a listen to the podcast, and they said, hey, we want this guy talking about our product. And lo and behold, here we are. I'm this guy, that guy that they mentioned earlier, and what we're doing right now is talking about said product. That, comp- <laughs> that product is comics bento. Um so I received a box with four graphic novels, um, three of them were paperback, and one of them, the one we're going to talk about today, was a very nice, very high-quality, hardback comic, um, and uh, it was a delight, and I even, I mention it in my notes here to, to talk about how nice this comic is, the production and the and the quality, and the shipping as well now the sample box they didn't give me one of their um one of their you know they they send them in very nice boxes essentially i got one that was um uh it mainly just had the comics bento sticker on it but that is no indication of quality whatsoever because or rather, it is because I guess because it has their sticker. Because it, I mean, they're in pristine condition. Every single comic, no bent corners, no cracked spines, nothing along those lines. No wrinkles, nothing. It is in pristine, incredible, amazing condition. Um, and uh, uh, I have gone this long without saying the title or the website, rather, Comicbento.com C-O-M-I-C-B-E-N-T-O dot com. C o m i c b e n t o dot com. Um, So, without further ado, let's talk about the comic that they sent me. As I said, they sent me four. We're only going to talk about one. The other three are upcoming episodes, so you don't get to find out what those are quite yet. The comic they sent me uh, that we're going to start with is The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. Um, And it was... Fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. I, I do enjoy the Beatles, and uh, this was an aspect of their careers that I had no knowledge whatsoever about. And this was a phenomenal way to learn about it, to learn about who Brian Epstein was and how he helped the Beatles become who they are uh, today, we, the cultural icons that we know them now. Now, uh, before we get too far into the story, I want to talk a little bit about the creative team. Uh, the writer was uh, Jivek J. Tiwari, and I'm very sorry that I probably pronounced that terribly, but just because it's a new year doesn't mean I know how to pronounce things now, and I am I will continue to apologize quite sincerely for ruining people's names, just ruining them. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, he was the writer, uh, of course, and um, this this book has gone in on to make, uh, wow, I, I, I want to beg your indulgence, because I'm rusty, I took a little time off, and I am just out of practice at this point, so please forgive me, and please, please don't tell the Petri wine that I am stumbling through the beginning of this episode, I very, very much apologize, um, so the, the fifth beetle, we're talking about the fifth beetle, um, Vivek Tawari is the, uh, is the writer and this has gained much acclaim. It, it's a widely lauded, is lauded the right, celebrated. It's a great, great comic. Uh, the reception has been nothing but positive. He, uh, met the president because, uh, he, <laughs> he wrote this book, you know what I mean? It's, it's phenomenal. Um. As far as the artists are concerned, uh, the art is by uh, Andrew Robinson with Kyle Baker. And uh, Andrew Robinson, if you recognize him, if you follow him on DeviantArt or on his website, um, you'll know he's a he's a phenomenal artist. And this is, I feel him at the height of his game. Uh, this book is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, his style is unique it's distinct it's interesting it's um it's emotional it's all very complimentary things that you would think that I would say I would say about it <laughs> um so if you are not familiar with his work you should definitely look into it he's um he's worked on a number of uh titles for DC he's worked on superman action comics batman and the outsiders uh, Faces of Evil, Vigilante, things like that. Um, he has worked on Hawkman and Starman and uh, Star Wars covers and things like that. Um, just just go and check him out. Uh, he actually does have a DeviantArt page, and it is, unsurprisingly, Andrew Robinson. Go and give him a gander, because his, his art is absolutely gorgeous. Kyle Baker, you might be familiar with. He is uh, one... Eisner Awards and Harvey Awards uh, for working comics um, he's worked for Marvel, he's worked for DC and Vertigo and, and published a number of his own lines as well so um, his, his work on this book is well, I'll let you take a guess because I've been saying great things about everybody's work and it's not likely that I'm going to say everybody did a great job but Kyle Baker sucks, no no, Kyle Baker did a great job on this book as well, uh, and the lettering is by Steve Duturo. He has worked on, unsurprisingly, uh, a lot of books. Star Wars, Wolverine, Star Wars Tales, which, if you're a fan of this show, you know I love. Captain America, Assassination Classroom, just to name a few. Uh, Night Watch, Blood Syndicate, things like that. Um, so, it's got a real solid team behind it. Now, if you read the the forward and the afterward and all the all the associate all the associated material with this book you know that vivek this was a labor of love for him as he mentions in his uh, in his letters in the book uh, he this was something that he felt very passionately about and one of his prized possessions in the book is uh, a business card that belonged to brian epstein um and it really shines through the level of care and detail that is put into the script of this comic and the comic itself, the artwork. It all shines through and it deserves every accolade it's gotten so far in my humble opinion. Um, so uh, let's let's get into it a little bit here. So the story focuses on Brian Epstein, who is the Beatles manager. Uh, who basically saw the Beatles in one of the underground clubs in London and said, um, he saw he felt something special. And he said, I can make them global superstars. And he did. And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And he, you know, beat, literally beat himself into ruins to accomplish these goals. He put himself into debt. He took risks. He essentially stressed himself to the point where he could no longer function and he made the Beatles what they are these these icons these uh, uh lads from Liverpool um which was uh just a, a little rhyme that he came up with but even that like he crafted their public image from the very beginning to Be something that he felt the world could embrace. He had a vision, and his vision was the Beatles was that these four guys would be this massive, giant thing. He said again and again bigger than Elvis, bigger than Elvis, bigger than Elvis. He was the one who was pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. And uh he was he achieved it one of the most in- i'm going to jump ahead i'm gonna just go ahead and jump ahead one of the most interesting sections of the book is when he meets with uh uh colonel parker colonel parker who um was elvis's manager and uh famously had you know a death grip on the man's career and everything like that and colonel parker is portrayed as this glutton and this you know, uh, 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 evil creature all the way down to, you know, his eyes occasionally flash red and the chair that he sits at has horns behind it and they, they're this sort of, they're quote unquote sharing a meal and Brian has a cup, grapefruit, cut grapefruit and some tea and then, um, uh, Colonel Parker is just, uh, eating everything in sight and, you know, drooling all over himself and, you know, saying terrible things and it's, it's, it's one of the most telling scenes in the book uh full of that is full of telling scenes and it it shows the contrast between him and uh and Brian Epstein and it shows how much Brian Epstein cared about the Beatles and cared about them as people there's one line that i that sticks out to me that i loved and uh, uh, the colonel's talking about how much money he takes from Elvis, and he says it's 50%, and Brian Epstein says, um, you take 50% of what Elvis makes, or what Elvis earns, and c- the colonel says, no, Elvis takes 50% of what I earn. And it's fascinating, and he walks away disgusted, but it's, it's such an interesting interaction between these two men who were managing the two Biggest celebrities on the planet at that time, and it's um, it's it's interesting because the the story is not just told through the dialogue; it's also told through the art as well, and um, this disturbing imagery of uh, watching the colonel eat all these sausages and all this terrible food and so on and so forth and and everything like that, and and it's fascinating. Now, um, it's not all about the Beatles; it is all about I, Brian Epstein, but not all about the Beatles it's also about his personal life and how uh, his his obsession towards making the Beatles a hit and also um, Brian Epstein was gay and he was gay in a time where it was not legal to be gay in Britain at all in England it it was not uh, he there was no possibility of coming out whatsoever and then one of his big things was that he wanted the Beatles to come to America and come to America and come to America. And um, once he finally achieved that goal, he was spending more and more time there, and he realized that there was a there was a freedom. Um, and of course, he you know he got wrapped up with somebody terrible who used him and abused him and and so on and so forth but it's established very early that uh uh homosexuality was something that he struggled with from a very young age he struggled with society's views on it and um one of the earliest pages in the book is him going to a doctor and getting pills for anxiety and that's a theme in the book that he he takes anxiety pills and he has doctors in different cities, at one point, who uh, who are all prescribing him these medications. Sorry about that. And they always ask, you know, do you have any other? Are you seeing any other doctors that I should know about? And he says no. And um, let me uh, let me find the page. You're going to hear that a lot. I, I I read the graphic novel, but I'm going to be flipping through it as well, just to just to refresh my memory. Um, let's see here these should help with your exhaustion and cons- and consistent use over time will help you deal with your dot 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 other problem the intimate inclinations and this is the first scene of him seeing a doctor and um oh they also always say pleasure just make sure you don't mix them with anything else and uh and so on and so forth and it's it's a fascinating book to see him um he's always driven, and he's always focused and everything like that, and he's, he's got, you can see the wheels turning constantly, and sometimes you can see them literally, there's a, there's a scene where he first sees the Beatles dolls, these action figures, and he has this little, you know, uh, fantasy of this, this uh, little girl holding a Paul McCartney doll and she's talking on the phone and requesting uh, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles and you know he's thrilled to pieces about it you know what I mean and it's the the art I can't say enough good things about the art because it's so expressive and it's so emotional and like I said you can just see the gears turning behind his eyes and um it's, it's really tremendous and well done. So uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more. But first, we are going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back right after these messages.
1: The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to settle back comfortably and listen. And uh, while you're getting settled, I'd like to know if you like seafood. And by seafood, I mean everything from, well, from broiled lobster to fried halibut. Because if you like seafood, any seafood... You'll love it together with Petri California Sauternes. Fish and Petri Sauternes were made for each other. No kidding. Boy, I'll never in my life forget a broiled brook trout on the plate in front of me and a glass of well-chilled Petri Sauterne right next to it. Mm. That fish and that Sauternes... Mm. Petri Sauternes has a pale golden color that's really good to look at. And as for taste, well, that Petri flavor is really something. Take my word for it and try it, won't you? Oh, and I'll tell you something else. Try that Petri sauterne with chicken sometime. <laughs> Look, I'd better stop before I get hungry all over again, but just remember this. The best friend a good meal ever had is a glass of Petri wine.
0: Hey folks, Will again. Uh, before we get back to the action, I want to... Add on another commercial. We are grateful and thankful for the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine. You can follow them on Twitter at PetriWine. But uh, this that I'm going to share with you now is too important to wait until another commercial break. Friend of the show, Evelyn Price, is releasing another book. If you have not read her first book, A Man Above Reproach, you are doing yourself a genuine disservice. Go and get it right now, uh, and read it while you're waiting for this next book to come out. Uh, Her new book is called The Thirteenth Earl by Evelyn Price, and uh, here is the description of it. And if this doesn't tickle your fancy, I don't know what will. Dark-haired Victorian beauty Cassandra Seton will finally see her fiancé Miles Markwick after a separation of nine years Nine years that have made her an object of pity. Marrying him now would save her further social humiliation, but it may cost her even more. Jonathan Vane Viscount Thaxton has retreated from society, earning him the nickname The Ghost. He's desperate to hide his father's increasing madness and fearful that he, too, will eventually succumb to the same illness. While attending the Spencers' party in the country, both Jonathan and Cassie are awakened by an unearthly wailing. Instead of a ghost, they find each other and fall into a passionate embrace. Guilt-stricken and searching for answers, they agree to a séance, but the medium's words only deepen the mystery. As the secrets of the past are revealed, Jonathan and Cassie band together to discover what's really haunting Spencer House and how to free each other from the specters looming over their own fates. Pre-order The 13th Earl by Evelyn Price now at bit.ly.com slash 13th Earl. That's B-I-T-L-Y dot com slash th Earl. It is well worth your time. As I said, if you read her other book, you know this already. Um, but if you haven't, go and check it out at your earliest convenience. She's a friend of the show, and uh, you will not be d- disappointed, I assure you. So we're talking about The Fifth Beetle by Brian Epstein. And um, let's see here. Let's go to the notes. I've taken some notes here. I read this o- over my lovely dinner of a sandwich. Um so uh, I wrote a little bit about the art style. It's hard lines and soft coloring, which I love. Um, and when you get into the more dreamy sequences, that really lends itself. That soft coloring really comes out. It's, I don't want to say watercolor, but um, it's it's not far off from that. Um, and uh, the entire book, the book actually starts with Brian Epstein getting beaten up. Um, he's, encounters a sailor that he thinks is interested in him, but actually beats him senseless. And the entire first portion of the book is all blues and grays and, uh, and darkness and everything like that. And the first hint of color, the first, um, warm color. I went to art school. I know what these words mean. The first warm colors you see are emanating from the Beatles. He, he runs his father's record store and he's speaking to a young girl who tells him about the Beatles and wants him to order the albums and he's interested and he wants to go see them live. So this girl takes him to see them live and it's like magic. It's like a light being turned on in his brain. Um, it's these it's like i said it's this underground club and you know there's the beatles the young beatles in their leather jackets and they're playing music and the way the scene is constructed is absolutely beautiful because when it shows the crowd everyone is kind of drawn in this like sketchy style a more comic style except for brian's face brian's face is the only one that frankly looks real it's it's almost photorealistic and this is when we get our first inkling of the matador. Brian was always very interested in matadors and the pageantry and and the the um, celebration of life and meditation on death, as he described it. And we see uh, a scene from that uh, in this. So, and he's hooked right away. And and as they leave the club, the, some of the first things he says is. Um. let's see here, gorgeous, they're gorgeous boys, these Beatles, I think I'd like to guide them, and he wasn't a manager, he was, he was a manager of the store, sure, but he was not a manager of, you know, musical talent before then, and this just becomes his obsession, and his, his life's dream, so the girl that took him to see the Beatles is Moxie, Moxie is this um, beautiful red-headed girl who's his constant companion throughout the entire entire book, and he asks her to be his personal assistant, and she's thrilled to pieces. That goes about as predictably as you would imagine that it would. Um, we'll get back to that, though. So he meets with the Beatles, and uh, uh first thing that happens is... Uh, uh, they're, they're all late uh, all three of them it's uh, uh. John who's the first one to arrive and he's got a stack of albums and he says uh, if you're the manager then these records are free and he comes in with a stack of records and everything like that and he says what you are is late Um. and he says oh no I'm not I'm John <laughs> and then that happens with everyone else who comes in George comes in and he says you're late no I'm not I'm George uh and then eventually Paul comes in with a towel on his head because uh, he was in the bath and of course he says you're very late and he says no I'm not I'm Paul now it it's incredible again I want to go back to the artwork because you see these iconic faces as children essentially as young boys and the artist absolutely nails it you can see their faces in these characters it's it's brilliant down to the last detail um he just really did a phenomenal job here and the dialogue is uh, excellent and witty and snappy and comical and uh the young beetles are like sharp 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 as a whip that's not a thing sharp as a tack quick as a whip is it quick as a whip who cares at all they're funny, and they're going back and forth with Brian and going back and forth with each other and telling jokes and, and all this wordplay and everything like that, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The, the dialogue in this book, and there is a lot of dialogue, is positively pitch perfect. The accents... Shine through the way it's written. The accents shine through perfectly, even the regional ac- accents uh, from the different sections of London. And uh, when you meet Colonel Parker later, his Southern accent comes through, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. So Brian takes the uh, the Beatles and he starts tailoring their look right away, and he puts them in suits and tells them all to get identical haircuts and everything like that, and then they press a record, and he starts selling it. He starts trying to sell it, and he's getting rejected. And this, this leads us to a kind of a memory sequence of him getting rejected and all these other aspects of his life, um, where he's gotten rejected for designing clothes, and he's gotten rejected for the army, and everything like that. And it's, I mean it's the same scene a man behind a desk with two people on either side and and everything like that and um finally it's the three main guys on the, in the three sections and so on and so forth and it's 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 really just um it's just phenomenal which leads him to his first doctor's visit as I mentioned earlier and there's this interesting thing starts happening there's these scenes with moxie that seem to have sexual implications we already know at this point that he is gay but I think it's meant to hint that Moxie has an attraction to him that's not being realized so in this first one there's three scenes and they're talking back and forth with each other he's sitting in a chair with his hands behind his back or behind his head and she's standing in front of him in the first panel and then she's a little lower in the second and then the third one she's tying his shoe it's it's very subtle, but it's it's definitely there, as if she was going to try something, or or you know the implication is that Moxie likes him. It is not so subtle, but it's there. Um, we have a, this dream sequence, as I mentioned, um, and I, I love the the <laughs> sorry, I love the the little dialogue here. He just says one sweet dream. That's what I want, and it's him. Moxie's tying his shoe, and then he's holding. She hands him the Beatles album, and he takes off like a shot, chasing this train that he himself is on in a suit. And it's, it's, it's really interesting, and it's, it's bright and it's green and it's, it's fascinating. And he gets him a record contract. Um, he did a little bit of wizardry, where essentially what happens is one of the executives that he was supposed to meet with was on vacation and the label that that executive worked for had already passed on the Beatles but he got in a meeting with this guy before he got back from vacation, no, right after he got back from from vacation but before he found out that his label had already passed follow this executive was into it he convinced the others and the Beatles had a record deal That's how it was. They were rejected at every single turn. And this one guy who ran the comedy division, um, George Martin, that's his name, George Martin. Not that one, but this one. George Martin uh, is the one who gave them the deal through EMI Records. Of course, this leads to another doctor visit and so on and so forth, and... um, He's got his anxiety pills, and what's next is touring. You've got the Beatles, they've got their iconic haircuts, they've got their suits and everything like that. This is when, around the time, Ringo was introduced to the group, uh, incidentally, because he actually, I think this might be his only line in the entire comic, but he says, I just want a roadie for my drums. You like that? You like that Ringo impersonation? Listen, we were not going to get out of an episode about a Beatles comic without me doing some kind of impersonation. That is terrible. There is more to come. Uh, And then then George says, the new guy. That's it! That's it! I think that's Ringo's only line. Uh, They're looking at the map. They go on tour and... He, they keep showing him, showing Brian, um, scheming to make them a success. Little things like uh, go to the other stores and buy the Beatles records. He's telling his mother, he's telling his father, you know, uh, go to the competitors' record shops and order the, buy the buy the albums and order a bunch of them to sell in our own and everything like that and so on and so forth. And just his hustle, his hustle, his hustle. He kept go, going and going and going and moving and and telling people to write letters to the record industry, uh, not the record industry. I'm sorry. Um, to the radio stations and call in and request the songs over and over and over again to try and drive it up the charts and um, John gets his girlfriend pregnant Uh, Cynthia his girlfriend Cynthia gets pregnant and he doesn't know what to do and Brian says "Oh, okay so you're gonna marry her and you're gonna live in my apartment because your apartment doesn't have any sunlight in it and that's that Beatles should never get married except for when they do. And he basically gives them this head start on life. You know what I mean? He helps out his friend John and he's you know, his his friend, you know, immediately. Um, he meets the baby and is thrilled. And he, he has this contentment because he he knows that he won't have a family, and that again is a theme that is through the book. You know, once the the Beatles start becoming popular and they start getting partners, and he's on his own, and it, it really weighs on him. There's a weird scene. You know what? We're gonna hold off on this weird scene right now because uh, we're gonna have another quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more Panel Riot. Stick around. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the fifty-first episode of. Panel Riot. It is good to be back behind the microphone, a brand new microphone for a brand new year. This episode is about Comics Bento. What's Comics Bento? Well, you're going to have to stick around and find out. But before we do that, Intern Stan theme song, please. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Thank you to everyone over at Metamorphosis for uh, helping to support the show and support me I'm long overdue to have my toes done uh, speaking of support once again I am going to share something with you that you need to know about and uh, that is soul sworn that is soul sworn check it out at Soulsworn.com. it is a phenomenal web comic written by Zach Staten friend of the show Zach Staten you know him as the Zeke the Zeke uh, it's not safe for work Heads up, it is for the grown-ups, but it's it's funny, and it's interesting, and it's violent, and it's filthy, and it's wonderful. So go and check it out, soulsworn.com, and uh, hopefully we'll have Zeke on the show again coming up soon. Um, so, uh, again, we're talking about the fifth beetle. Now, I, I, I teased a little weird scene, and uh, there's a lot of book left here. So <laughs> if I'm going to come in uh, under 45 minutes, we got to get to work here. So there's a scene where Moxie saying, please, please, me has reached number nine. And Brian says, number nine. And Moxie says number nine, and Brian says number nine, and Moxie says number nine, and Brian says number nine, and then Yoko says number nine, and that's weird. That's it. <laughs> that's that's all there is. <laughs> um, that's only, her only appearance in the book. Um, and then he says number nine. Why are the Beatles in Gloush, Gloucest, Gloucester? 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 Gl- I'm sorry. I'm so. I'm so Gloucester, and buy another 2,000 copies for the store, and Moxie's smiling at him for a panel, and then she's smiling at him for another panel, and he's confused because Moxie loves him. Get it? Um, so we continue on, and uh, they're celebrating their success, and then there's a bookmark. There's a book, There's a bookmark! In this comic book. A nice red fabric bookmark, the kind that is attached to the book. Come on now. Just incredible. That, incidentally, speaks to the quality <laughs> of books that comic ben- comic comic bento will send you. Um, it is it is literally just phenomenal. So uh, they cut to a scene in Spain where he's lying on the beach with John and having a conversation. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of where he comes out to John, uh, and they have a conversation about. Uh, about being homosexual, and John's like, "What well, do you find him attractive? Do you find him attractive? And um, he Brian says either yes or usually no, and then John says, do you find me attractive? And he says, yes, and John says, well, it's too bad I'm not queer. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the end of that scene. Um, next is New York City, where he is talking to Ed sullivan now this seems weird i don't know if it actually played out like this so he's trying to negotiate to get the beatles on the ed sullivan show yeah and ed sullivan is talking with a ventriloquist dummy and he insists that brian talk to the dummy it's it's really quite strange, and uh, he's not interested. He thinks the Beatles are uh, like a novelty act, essentially. And he said the Beatles perform for the Queen of, queen of England, and the dummy says exactly, um, they're no Elvis and so on and so forth. But finally, uh, he does convince Ed Sullivan to show up, or um, rather, the Beatles to play Ed Sullivan by doing three headlining appearances. For the cost of half of one of them, essentially, and it works. It works. Now interspersed with these, it's it's really strange to see him uh, talking with this dummy and and everything like that. I don't know if that was normal Ed Sullivan practice because I got to tell you I don't know that much about Ed Sullivan except that he was a great entertainer and he had a really big shoe. I told you there'd be more. Interspersed with these are uh, pictures of John F. Kennedy. And his assassination, Um, him, you know, driving along and it's a two page spread with just the words bang, there's spatters of blood, there's pictures of his face, and that's, that's it. And it's representative of how that changed everything about how the the world became a different place and America became a different place. The Beatles were prepared for their um, big American debut and then this happened and, and everything changed, you know what I mean? The Kennedy assassination was uh, one of those, it's one of those touchstone moments that like my generation's moment like that is 9-11, you know? If you get enough people together of a certain age, it, you know, and they're together for long enough uh, inevitably the conversation will be where were you when it happened you know what I mean that was the Kennedy assassination and it's just like that it's back to Liverpool and it's back to the, the blues and the juries and uh, the everything like that and again once again the first warmth is a conversation that's coming from the Beatles and they're basically saying "You know, the world's different and the world's scary and everything like that and they're like well Brian Epstein says it's going to be okay and that's it, and um, uh, John says, it's not dangerous, we're not the president, we're not the person with the bombs and the guns, we're just a band, worlds don't turn on what we do or say, there you go, Um, so they make their big trip to America, and frankly, you know how that turns out, there's a scene in the airport, where Brian is arriving, And there's a young man in a Beatles t-shirt calling home uh, saying that he's there to see the Beatles and everything like that. Um, There's the Ed Sullivan introduction, uh, which, you know what, I'm not going to do the impersonation again. But uh, needless to say that uh, um, uh, we just received a wire from Elvis Presley and Colonel Tom Parker wishing them a tremendous success in our country. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. And that's it. That's, you know, it it becomes this huge, massive, it's it's a two-page spread. And again, it shows how huge the Beatles got so quickly and so, so much like that. At this point, um, he meets with uh, Dr. Nat Weiss. And his life changes once again because... Nat Weiss shows him around New York, and he shows him to the underground clubs in New York. And for the first time, he can be, Brian can be who he truly is, who he is in his heart. And he meets somebody, and he sleeps with them, and it's magic, and he's happy, and he's himself, and he's happy. So... He goes and sees uh, another doctor, and the doctor says all the same things to him, and then he says, wow, the Beatles manager, wow, and he says, you know, wait, oh, here, this is for refills. Wait, oh, here, this is for an autograph from the Beatles. It's, uh, it's tremendous. So, uh, we have a scene, finally, where, so they're at a party in Moxie, and he dances, and it's magic, and they're, she's happy, and it's amazing, and everything like that, and then this other guy comes up and dances with her, and she sees Brian flirting with a waiter, and on the car ride home, she realizes it's not gonna happen. And there's something about this, the way this is drawn, and the, like I said, it becomes more dreamlike and a little softer, and it's it's an incredible sequence and it's just just gorgeous um so it then gets into this uh his abusive relationship with this young gentleman that he met in New York Dizzy and um how he kind of uh starts taking advantage of him subtly at first and it, it gets worse and worse later on and this is the the bit that I told you about before, where he's he's talking to people back home and he's saying, you know, everyone's taking care of me here, and but you know everything's so stressful, and and uh, you know the boys all have you know they have girlfriends or wives or children or, or all of this, and he's like, I've got no one to share this with, with, I I don't have I don't have a partner and, and I don't have a friend and it's so lonely and um I'm I'm meeting with. Colonel Parker and I'm hoping Mr. Parker will become that friend. And he does not. <laughs> he absolutely does not. I described this scene in the beginning and it's it's disgusting and he's he's devilish and evil and you I mean the last the last scene is him like eating a cake with his hands while laughing and the ha 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 is on fire. His eyes are glowing red and he's sitting in a chair with horns on it. I mean it doesn't get it doesn't get much more subtle than that, folks. Um, we cut to an interview uh, on perspective with him, where they talk to him as the manager of the Beatles, of course, and he has an unpleasant encounter with Dizzy again. And um, it's it's told in a you know it's all sepia tone and you know different panels and back and forth and the interview and everything like that and it's it's it's. It's, it's what TV looked like back then. You know, it's it's gorgeous. It's, it's well done. I, again, I have to praise the art here. We can do a little weird section here. Um, the comic becomes this, like, really sketchy art style. And it's Brian Epstein, Chaos in the Philippines. And basically it's uh, when John Lennon said that the Be- Beatles were bigger than Jesus and how there was trouble in the Philippines and then they were going to come back to america and uh there's all these rednecks and hillbillies burning beatles albums and the kkk is threatening him with a shotgun and everything like that and and then there's the whole that that whole controversy where he had to apologize very reluctantly and in very tiny text um for, uh, for saying that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. And he said, I never meant it to be a lousy anti-religious thing. If you want me to apologize, if that'll make you happy, then okay. I'm sorry. Very teeny tiny. Um, and of course he has another encounter with Dizzy, which sends him to the hospital. He's stressed and he's crazy and, and everything like that. And he's, he's in the hospital for a number of days. Um, and this is the beginning of his troubles. He throws a, a giant party to celebrate... Sergeant Pepper's, which comes out and is lauded as a massive, massive success, and he uh, he says a poem at the uh, at the event, which incidentally the uh, the Rolling Stones were also drawn into. Weird to see them suddenly show up, but uh, uh, again, great drawings, recognizable immediately, and the rest of the book at this point where is is very surreal, and the reason for that is because he's locked himself in his bed and in his in his bedroom and he's in a, in his pajamas and the backgrounds are white and sketchy and everything like that. And it's, it's all very dreamlike and crazy. And, um, finally Moxie comes in and, and, uh, talks with him and he says, I'm finally going to start taking care of myself. And, you know, we're going to start tomorrow and it's going to be amazing. And she says, you know, I just, I just I don't know what happens tomorrow, and he says, yes, it's tomorrow, that's the cardinal problem, but whatever happens tomorrow, Moxie, one thing is certain, it must not be allowed to look after itself, and then he dies, and um, we see a scene of the Beatles sitting around a fire in India, and chanting, and smoking, and and everything like that, and um, they're all lit by firelight, and the art, of course, is gorgeous, and you don't hear the words, or rather read the words, but you see them reacting to the news and how sad they are and how they share this moment. And uh, it's amazing. And that's it. That's the book. That's that's the end of the book. There is, um, of course, the afterword by Jivek. And uh, um, there's a quote here, uh, Paul McCartney, 1999. If anyone was the fifth Beatle, it was Brian. And um, so there's a there's a lot of material here as far as the artwork is concerned, um, sketches for the cover, the Beatles, the character designs, um, the uh, the posters, and uh, there's a he taught the artist talks about his process and everything like that. Even even the addition of uh, JFK, um, and then. Uh, finally, there is the business card, one of my prized possessions. This business card was a gift from Nat Weiss, Brian Epstein's bre- best friend and closest confidant. Confidant, apologies. This car- the card may now belong to me, but the style is indelibly Brian's. With love and gratitude to my historical mentor, mentor Mr. Brian Epstein, TFB the Fifth Beatle, Javek J. Tuari, New York, two thousand thirteen. This is a phenomenal graphic novel Um, when I left work today I knew I was going to come home I was going to read this and I was going to record this episode what I didn't expect was to feel so many emotions Um, and I think if you go back to the 50th episode you know that that's one of the hallmarks of a great comic is um, something that can present emotions and my biggest challenge now is who do I shove this into the hands of next um my my girlfriend is a huge Beatles fan I think she would get a lot out of it my uh one of my closest friends um is uh is uh musically inclined very musically talented and appreciates music like no one else that I know I think he would enjoy it as well and um you dear reader I hope that you go out and find this and uh and read it. It's it's truly phenomenal. It's it's emotional and it's a beautiful, beautiful book, and it's <laughs> it is just of the highest quality. Um and it's a great addition to anybody's bookshelf. Go and check it out. The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story by Jivek J. Tawari. Sorry again. Sorry back for ruining your name again <laughs> and again and again. a uh, quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Comic Bento, comicbento.com, the monthly original comic subscription box. Each comic comes with each comic bento comes with at least $50 worth of surprise graphic novels every box, in every box mailed straight to your door starting at $17.50 a month head on over to comicbento.com now and subscribe. Before we close the book on another episode, I have a few things I'd like to share with you. Uh, First off, would you like more Panel Riot? Good news, more is available. You can find us at our all-new, all-different, newly-renovated base of operations, panelriot.com. From there, you can do all manner of things, including donating to the cause. There has straight up never been a better time to become a patreon supporter of panel riot you'll have my undying gratitude as well as a few patreon exclusives comic reviews interviews and other bonus content as well as new donation rewards just click the link that says patreon and go from there you'll join the pantheon of supporters currently helping the show run smoothly with their hard-earned dollars to that end our sincere thanks to Ellen Hemington at Coyote Claw. That's with K's and K's. Uh, Meredith Staten at Mayor Bear Doodles. Tony Garza at The W Revolution. Ed Burke at Ed Burke 37. And of course, the man himself, our benevolent overlord at Sorgatron. On a scale of 1 to 10, they are the best. You can find us on Twitter at Panel Riot. I'm at DJ Lunchbox. And you can also follow our sensational intern, Intern. Stan at Intern Stan. And starting now, yes, now, this very moment, you can follow our wonderful sponsor since the very beginning, the Petri family at Petri Wine. What does a podcast supporting family of winemakers have to tweet about? Well, follow them find out. Our show is available on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, and of course, iTunes. You can also head on over to panelriot.com and click the link that says most recent episode. It does what it says it do. If you are an iTunes listener, please rate and review the show. It helps more people find the podcast and you will be visited by a baby deer in the nighttime to snuggle with you if you do. I want to know what you think of the show. Please email us at panelriot at (laughs) gmail.com. Tell us what you're reading, what you like, what you don't like, if you like the Beatles or not, and if you're interested in Comics Bento. Thanks for listening, True Believers, and remember, life is too short to read bad comics. Proud member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.
1: Let's go out to the lobby. Let's go out to the lobby. Let's go out to the lobby. And have ourselves some wine. Petri wine.